Well, good morning and welcome to Cross Connection Church Online. Sometimes I think I take it for granted that those who tune into this broadcast know who I am. That may not exactly be the case as we continue to reach well beyond our local church area here in North San Diego County, California. So if you are joining from somewhere else, if you've never actually joined with us here on campus for an in-person service, then I want to welcome you to Cross Connection Church Online and introduce myself to you. My name is Miles Benedictus, and I have had the privilege of leading this church as the pastor here for the last 14 years. Currently, we are in a series here at the church that I call Life in Connection. If Cross Connection Church is your church home, then this is a topic that is familiar to you. But again, if you connect with us online from some other part of our you know, nation or somewhere else in the world, our mission here at Cross Connection Church is life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. And it has been my custom for the last decade or more to begin each year by refocusing us as a church on our mission and our vision. So that's why we are currently going through this series and I'm talking about life in connection with God, one another and the world through Jesus. If you weren't with us last week, I really do hope that you will check out last week's message online for a bit further context on what we're gonna be talking about today because everything that I shared last week was really kind of a setup for where we're going as we're talking this week about life in connection with God. And then next week I plan to talk about life in connection with one another. And then the following week after that, I'll talk about life in connection with the world. I'm sure you've noticed that the last couple of years have been, shall we say, a little crazy. In fact, two years ago at the end of 2019, coming into 2020, I shared with our church here at Cross Connection Church that I perceived that 2020 was gonna be a chaotic year. Now I said that because it was a presidential election season and 2016 was kind of crazy and 2012 before that was crazy and 2008 before that was crazy. So really in all of my adult life, going back to the elections in the year 2000, presidential election seasons in the United States are pretty chaotic and it just seemed like it was getting more so. So I thought it was a pretty sure bet going into 2020 at the end of 2019, thinking that, you know, 2020 is going to be a year of chaos. And it certainly didn't let me down, not just in the political arena, but everything that happened as a result of coronavirus and all the things that came after that. So I'm sure that you've noticed the last couple of years have been a little crazy. After nearly two years of chaos, and, and really when you think about it, after more than two decades of rapid, crazy change and what some refer to as hyper novelty. We have developed as a people, I know I've seen it myself and in interacting with people in the church and in the community, I have noticed that we've developed a general skepticism and even a distrust around institutions. So you can check this for yourself. Can I just ask yourself the question, do I find in myself that I am less trusting and more skeptical of say, federal institutions. So when I say federal institutions, I'm talking about things like the FBI or the CDC, the FDA, 
the IRS. So have you developed more of a skepticism or do you find that you are less trusting of federal institutions or maybe even public health professionals or the medical and pharmaceutical industries? Have you developed a little bit of a distrust for corporate interests or the corporate media, the news, or corporate social media, all the social media platforms that we use on a regular basis? Have you found that you are less trusting or more skeptical of politicians and the political establishment or big business or universities or law enforcement or even that which is just kind of put under the, the broad heading of science? You know, you hear people talk about science and we kind of like, oh, here we go again. We kind of are a little bit less trusting. Depending upon where you land in the political spectrum, you probably do have some skepticism and some increasing distrust of the corporate news media, the tech sector, the social media platforms, law enforcement, universities, the political establishment, big business, corporate industries, the medicine and pharmaceutical industry, all these different things, you might find that you are a little less trusting and quite a bit more skeptical of these things. We are more skeptical of these things because we have witnessed the breakdown of great industries, the breakdown of societal mainstays in our culture here in the West. It is hard to believe that in one of the wealthiest and most advanced states, I, I live in the state of California, in one of the wealthiest and most advanced states in one of the wealthiest, arguably the wealthiest and most advanced nations of the world, that during certain months of the year, we here in California are concerned about the mainstays of water and power. I mean, it, it seems almost absurd that when we get into the summer months here, we're talking about rationing power and rationing water. Like some of the things that you would just expect would always be in this very hyper-modern era that we live in. And it's not just water and power, you know, air travel, something that we have become accustomed to in our lifetime. It is less reliable than it used to be. And, and when I say less reliable, I'm not talking about less safe. I mean, it's, it's very, very safe. It's just that, you know, you, you don't know if your bags are going to get there. You don't know if the plane's going to show up on time. You don't know if your plane's not only going to be delayed or it's just going to be canceled. There's been a lot of that stuff going on. You don't know if there's going to be enough people to run all the different things going on at the airports. There's just all kinds of crazy things. Supply chains are less dependable. The fact that we are actually concerned about these things can be rather destabilizing and stressful. At the very least, it is an aggravation. It's an irritation when the things that we have come to rely upon are proven to be far less dependable than we expected that they would. And as a result of this, trust in institutions is at a what we might say a multi-generational low. So in the last several generations, we've come to expect certain things from industry and institutions and government and healthcare and all this sort of stuff. But now at this point, not just ever after everything that has happened over the last two years, but really after everything that has happened in more of the last two decades, we find that we have a pretty low kind of trust in these things and a skepticism of those institutions. It's at kind of an all-time high in, in my lifetime, in our lifetimes. Everything has been shaken. And those things that at one time seemed to be the steadfast mainstays of Western societies, they have not stood up under the stress of the shaking that has been happening in the last two years or the last two decades. And 
as much as we may not want to acknowledge or accept it. There's probably more shaking that is to come. I mean, just thinking about that, I don't, I don't like the thought of that, but you know, the, the supply chain issues are probably not done. There's still a lot of questions swirling within our culture about how to handle things with coronavirus and how to reopen society after all of these things. There's not a lot of agreement within our governmental structures about how we ought to handle these things or within the public health se sector. So there's probably more to come in the shaking and, and that can be a little bit frustrating, irritating. But I wanna suggest to you that this shaking that has been happening in our culture for the better part of the last 20 to 30 years, in some respects, it might actually be a good thing. Though we are living, I would say, in tenuous and potentially dangerous times. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Why might the shaking that we have been going through as a culture be a good thing? Well, to answer that, I'd, I'd ask you, if you have your Bible, to turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 19, in verse 1, we read from the prophet Isaiah, the burden against Egypt. Behold, the Lord rides on a swift cloud and will come into Egypt. The idols of Egypt will totter at his presence and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. If you've been a part of Cross Connection Church for any length of time, then you probably know that I like the book of Isaiah. I have been a student of the book of Isaiah for a very long time, and I've also had the privilege of teaching the book of Isaiah no less than seven or eight times at a Bible college setting for many, many years. So I love the book of Isaiah, and I find it a, a fascinating picture for us, or a lens, if you will, to look at our culture in our day through the lens of a book that was written nearly 2,800 years ago. And in Isaiah chapters 13 through 23, the section where that passage came from that I just read out of Isaiah chapter 19, verse one. In Isaiah chapters 13 through 23, this is a section that details the shaking of the major nations of Isaiah's time. As Isaiah saw it, the source of the shaking, when you go through this passage, the source of this shaking of the nations was God. And the reason for the shaking was the collective sinfulness of the peoples of those nations that God was shaking. So in this section, the ancient city-states of places like Babylon and Syria, Tyre, Moab, Philistia, Assyria, Ethiopia, Egypt, Edom, Arabia, and even Israel, they are all shaken by God because of their, their sin and their rebellion. Can we all acknowledge that such massive shaking, it's not fun. When, when things get shaken around us, it's not enjoyable. It can be very upsetting and seriously destabilizing. You know, one of the most significant memories that I have from childhood, it happened in just seconds after 5.04 p.m. on October 17, 1989. Game three in the World Series between the San Francisco Giants and the Oakland A's was just about to begin. And as that was just about to begin, it was nationally televised, the entire stadium there, it shook with a massive 7.2 magnitude earthquake that hit California's Bay Area. Now, earlier on that same day, my family had just laid to rest my grandfather and we were having a family gathering at my grandmother's house in Antioch, California, which is just about 30 miles away from Oakland. So we were right in the Bay Area. I was there for that huge 7.2 magnitude earthquake. And that affected me. At the time I was about nine or 10 years old, that affected me 
and everyone else in a significant way, a very major way. And then about five years after that, in January of 1994, we had a series of large Sunday morning earthquakes, the Northridge earthquakes. The first was 6.7 magnitude quake, and then there were some aftershocks that came after that. And it was incredibly destabilizing and upsetting. It put everybody on edge for a really long time. There was all this talk during that time. There's been a lot of talk like this in California for a really long time that we're gonna have the big one on the San Andreas Fault and it's gonna cause California to like fall off into the ocean. And I can't tell you what it was like as a nine-year-old to experience that huge 7.2 magnitude earthquake and then the Northridge earthquakes. It, it was unsettling, it was upsetting and it, it caused kind of a, you know, a corporate low-level post-traumatic stress for a while. When everything shakes, it's hard not to be internally destabilized. And nearly 2,800 years ago, God shook the nations of Isaiah's day. And in this passage, in Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1, we're talking about the, the shaking of the nation of Egypt. So 2,800 years ago, God shook Egypt. And when he did, the scriptures say that the idols of Egypt were shaken at his presence. And what was the result of this when the idols of Egypt were shaken at the presence of God moving into that nation? It says that the heart of Egypt melted in its midst. This is what happens when things are shaken. And our society has been experiencing massive shakings over the last 25 years. I talked about some of those things. They're kind of culture altering and society shifting shakings. I talked about that in my last message. There's been a lot of these things that have happened in our culture in the last 25 years. They have been kind of like metaphorical earthquakes. And with each successive shaking, with each major event, there is a melting of the hearts of the people. In some respects, this is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing, as I said. The earthquake that hit in 1989 and the other ones that came in 1994, they were devastating. They caused immense damage. There were, between the two of them, there was over 100 deaths between them. Now, an amazing thing, you know, when something like that happens in the United States, you have far less death than you might if that very same thing happened in Nepal or that thing happened in Haiti. I mean, we've seen some chaotic, massive earthquakes happen in some other places where the death toll is much, much higher. But here in the United States, we, between those two earthquakes, we had more than 100 deaths. There were thousands of people who were injured and more than $100 billion in losses. But as terrible as those things are, and I don't wanna you know, lessen the impact of how bad that is, when the shaking like that happens, it also exposes the areas of society that need to be strengthened and to be built up or, or built better. And so you're able to see what are the bridges that are not gonna be able to stand. You know, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of new engineering that had to come out after those earthquakes so that we can build in such a way that we can withstand that kind of shaking. But it was bad, but it exposes some of the ways that things need to be better. So in other words, shaking exposes the deficiencies and weaknesses of our lives and of our trusts. In that passage in Isaiah chapter 19, God shook Egypt and those things that they trusted in, the idols of Egypt, they were shaken. At the most basic level, an idol is anything in which you trust and anything in which you are devoted, to which you are devoted. So, if you think about the things of people's lives, what are the things that they trust in? 
What are the things that they are devoted to? Those ultimately are their idols. Now, we don't have idols like maybe the people in Babylon or Assyria or even the nation of Israel or among the Philistines did 2,800 years ago. We may not have idols whose names are things like Baal or Asherah or all the different gods of the nations going back in time, but we still have idols today. Those are the things that people trust in or they entrust their lives to and they are devoted to. And when what you trust in is shaken, that is, it is shaken and exposed for being deficient or weak, you will find that your heart will melt. The heart of Egypt melted in the midst of the people of Egypt when the things that they trusted in, and if you read through Isaiah chapter 19, you can underline, you'll find there's a series of things that they trusted in. They trusted in their wealth, they trusted in their wisdom and their intelligence and their leaders, they trusted in the gods of their nation, they trusted in the Nile River, they trusted in all of their industry that came from the Nile River. All of those things experience a massive falling apart. You know, there's a drought and there's a famine and there's all these different things that happen on Isaiah chapter 19. These were the things that the people trusted in and God, in his judgment, he causes those things to be shaken and to fall apart and the heart of the people melts. So why might that be a good thing? Because idols, those things that you trust in and you're devoted to, or the things that the people of Egypt trusted in and were devoted to 2,800 years ago, idols cannot save. And it is better for you to find out now that what you are trusting in or are devoted to, it's better to find out now that that thing is weak and deficient than to bank on it until the very end, only to be left wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked when everything falls apart. You know, I think of, uh, you may remember the name Bernie, Ma Bernie, Bernie Madoff. At the height of his career, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of people who entrusted him with tens of billions of dollars. And those that did so, they lost in a huge way. Why? Because he was exposed for being a fraud. When the, when the final shaking came through, he was shown for being a fraud. And all the trust that people had put into him, all the devotion that they had given to him by entrusting him with all of their assets, they, they came up really short. So shaking exposes the deficiencies and weaknesses of our lives and of our trusts, the things that we trust in. For the better part of the last three quarters of a century in the West, especially here in the United States, we have trusted in science and technology. We've trusted in medicine. We've trusted in our educational institutions, our universities. In some respects, we've trusted in government. Now you may say, well, I don't trust in government, but you might trust in the government officials that you voted for or the people that you like. So we as a people, we've trusted in government. We have trusted in our military. We've trusted in corporations, in law enforcement, all these different things for the better part of the last you know, three quarters of a century, 75 years, we have trusted in these things. And for all intents and purposes, our society sees these Western institutions and the ideals that they are built upon as being the savior of society. Now you may argue with that. You say, I don't think those things are the savior of society, but believe it or not, that's what we basically believe. And you can tell that that is what we as a people believe because that is what we have tried to export to other societies and cultures. You know, it's an interesting thing that when the very first presidential election that I was an adult in and able to vote in was back in 2000. And there was a lot of talk during that time about how we don't wanna be involved in nation building. There was so much of the, you know, the rhetoric and the lead up to the election in 2000 that had to do about, you know, we don't want to be involved in nation building. But for pretty much my entire adult life, 
we have been involved in foreign theaters trying to export to those places the ideals and the institutions of our culture. Why? Because we think that those things have value. We think that those things are good. And in many respects, I'm not speaking against those things. I love the culture that we live in. I, I'm not looking in any way to leave this culture. But it's very clear in that we've tried to export these things to other places that we believe that these things are important, that these are highly to be highly valued. But after more than two decades of shaking, our trust in these things is far less than it once was. You are probably more skeptical than you ever were that the answers to the world's biggest problems are going to be found in our universities, our government, our corporations, in medicine, science, and technology. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that these things have not produced unprecedented increases in human wealth and well-being. They certainly have. There are less people today than at virtually any other time in history living in abject poverty. That is a good thing. There are more people today living healthier and wealthier lives than perhaps at any other time in human history when you look at it per capita. But you are probably far more skeptical now than you've ever been at any other time in your life that the ultimate answers that to the, the biggest questions are or will be found in science, technology, medicine, education, or corporate and government institutions. And like I said, that's not a bad thing. Why? Because shaking exposes the deficiencies and weaknesses of our lives and our trusts. The ultimate answers are not ultimately found in these things. These things, they will not save. As I said earlier, idols don't save. But the problem is, Though we have great science, technology, medicine, education, and maybe even comparatively good institutions, we have all these things, but we feel lost. And we are lost. We, as human beings, are in darkness. This is the height of what postmodernism breeds. After decades of talk about postmodernism, after years of philosophical research and writing on the topic, we are now beginning to feel the nihilistic angst of postmodernism and what postmodernism brings in a bigger way than at any other time. And I want you to know that that may not actually be a horrible thing because shaking exposes the deficiencies and weaknesses of our lives and our trusts. But as I said previously, we are living in very tenuous and potentially dangerous times. Why is that? Why is this time that we are living in a very tenuous and potentially dangerous time? It has been observed by many, especially um, some of the Russian physiologists, psychologists, and neuroscientists of the 19th and 20th centuries that humans and other organisms, but us humans, when we are subjected to hyper novel conditions, when things change rapidly and in a big way, we have a, a startle reflex. All of us have a startle reflex. You've experienced that before. You know, you're, you're in a dark room or you're in some place it's dark outside and there's a bright flash and a really loud, loud noise. You have a startle reflex. We startle to that. But not only do we have a startle reflex, we also have what's referred to as an orienting response or an orienting reflex. And when, when things change, when there is hyper novelty, we are triggered, triggered. And when we are triggered, we seek for some sort of equilibrium. I'm sure you've noticed over the last two years that 
maybe you have been seeking for, or maybe your friends and neighbors, family members have been seeking for what we often call the new normal. I mean, it's kind of cliche and you get tired of hear, hearing people talk about the new normal, but we've been looking for some stability and we've wanted things to settle down and to return to something that's a little bit more steady and routine and maybe even mundane. How much would you like to have a little bit more mon mundane you know, situations in your life? So have you been looking for that? If the answer is yes, which I'm sure it probably is, it is because we long for things to return to a state of homeostasis. That is normal biologically. That's normal psychologically. You know, we want things to go back to some sort of normal status. So what is the problem with that? Well, when things that we have trusted in or that we've devoted ourselves to are shaken and they're turned upside down, then our inclination is to try to find something else as fast as possible to latch on to to bring stability. This is why so many men that are widowed, they like almost instantly buy a motorcycle or a sports car and oftentimes, way too often, those guys who have been widowed, they, they find a new wife within months after the death of their, their spouse. Why is that? Because there is this compelling sense within us that we want some sort of stability and normalcy. We think that that's where that's going to come from. But the danger is in turning to something that will not ultimately address the deficiencies and weaknesses of our lives or possibly that will make the situation much worse. There are countless cautionary tales of people who have done exactly that. But hopefully the shaking that we go through or have been going through, it, it exposes the deficiencies and the weaknesses of our lives and the things that we trust in for a purpose. And you need to recognize that God allows such things in our lives. He allows the things that we trust in in our lives that are not him. He allows those things to be shaken. In fact, it is his desire that those things be shaken. Why? Because God shakes those things that can be shaken so that we will trust in that which is unshakable. God allows things in our lives to be shaken. The things that we are trusting in or devoted to that are not worthy of our trust or devotion, he allows those things to be shaken so that we will not trust in those things any longer. God shakes those things that can be shaken so that we will trust in that which is unshakable. The author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, he says that God's voice in Hebrews chapter 12, God's voice shakes the earth. And then the author of the book of Hebrews, he writes these words in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, speaking of God. For if they did not escape who refused God, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. So God's voice shakes the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. He's quoting from the Old Testament prophets. Now this, verse 27, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. So God allows things to be shaken. Why? For the removal of, the, of those things that can be shaken so that we will trust in those things that remain, that cannot be shaken. Therefore, verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So there it is in that passage. God shakes those things that can be shaken so that we will trust in that which is unshakable. Stability and surety and life, 
are not found in the things of this world. I'm sure you are seeing that more and more as time goes by. All the things that have happened in our culture and in society over the last two years or 22 years, the last couple of decades or more, have shown us that our devotion and trust in many of the institutions that we have often trusted in, those things are not sure and steadfast. They may not be as stable as we thought that they were. So distrust and skepticism is at an all-time high in those things. Better politicians and politics will not bring stability and surety. Our security and hope are ultimately not in science, technology, medicine, or math mathematics. Universities, corporations, institutions, major initiatives of you know, multinational groups, those things will not produce utopia. As much as people write academic papers about how those things will produce utopia, they will not. But those things are the things that Westerners have trusted in and hoped for. Those things are the things that we are trying to export to other things. But those things have not stood up to the shaking of the last couple decades. All of the talk of deconstruction in this postmodern era is really, in reality, just the picking through of the rubble of those things as they fall. And we see in the midst of shaking that those things are not as enduring as we maybe hoped or thought they would be. We are witnessing the removal of those things that are being shaken so that the things which cannot be shaken remain or they are shown so that we can see what are the real sure and steadfast things that we can anchor ourselves to in this world. And it's not all of those institutions that we find in this world. And this shaking isn't necessarily a bad thing. That is, if the result is that you find in the rubble of that which is shaken and that which falls as a part of the shaking, that which is sure and steadfast, immovable, and unshakable. The psalmist in Psalm 46 writes these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. I mean, imagine an upheaval like this. The earth is removed and the mountains are carried into the midst of the sea. How destabilizing would that be? Though its waters roar and be troubled, Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah, kind of a pause. Think that. Think for about that for a moment. Just take that in. The mountains are shaking, cast into the sea, all kinds of cra craziness and chaos. Then the psalmist says this in verse 4. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. So here we see the earth is in turmoil and shaking, but there's the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God's city, God's kingdom is not moved. God shall help her. Just at the break of dawn, the nations raged and the kingdoms were moved. God uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. So just think about that. God is sure and steadfast. He is not moved. As the earth is being moved and shaking and all the hearts of the people on the earth are melt, God is our refuge. Sure and steadfast. Verse 8. Come behold the works of the Lord. Who has made desolations in the earth? He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. What is this psalmist showing us there in Psalm 46? Beautiful words in that psalm. He's showing us that God is over and above all of those things that melt the hearts of men. All of those things that cause us distress and those things that destabilize us in our, in our soul, in our psyche, in our lives. God is over and above all of those things that cause the hearts of men 
to melt. He is unmoved by those things that move us. And he allows those things that we trust in to be shaken for the purpose of, or so that we will realize that our idols, the things that we trust in or are devoted to, those things are unworthy of our devotion and our trust. So it all comes down to this. God will allow things to crumble around you. And maybe you're going through a situation right now like that, where you feel like everything's kind of falling apart in your life. Maybe you've lost a family member, you've lost a relationship, maybe you've lost a job or you've lost a house or you've lost something. Some sort of loss has caused all kinds of destabilization in your life. And maybe in the midst of it, you've even prayed or asked people to pray for you and you've wondered, God, why have you not fixed this? Well, I found from reading the scriptures, I found through observation of other people's lives, I've seen in my own life that God will allow things to crumble around us so that we, while we are standing in the midst of the rubble, in the midst of all the things that have fallen, that we might find him. He will allow the storm to rage so that we will turn to him. He will let us sometimes sink into the waves so that we will cry out to him for help. Kind of like Peter, if you've ever read in the Gospels, who walked on water and he saw the wind and the storm and the waves and he starts to sink and he cries out to God for help. God will allow us to go through those situations so we will rely more fully upon him and cry out to him for help. He will allow us to grope about lost in darkness so that we might find life and light in his grace. So that we will come to recognize that what we truly desire and deeply need is found in the abundant life that comes only from life in connection with him. We were created by God to live life in connection with God. And apart from him, we will always be lost and in darkness. But we find ourselves apart from God and trying to find help and light and life and all these other things that ultimately will not satisfy and ultimately will not save us. We were created to live life in connection with God. And at the very beginning, if you go back and read the opening words of the Bible in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, man and God were connected. There was a, a tight relationship, but humanity set out to try to be self-sufficient and strong on his own. That's what the fall described in Genesis chapter 3 is all about. And God allows us to grope about in the dark until we are ready to call out to him. When we realize that we are deficient and weak without him. I think that this is beautifully pictured in some more words from the Psalms. In Psalm 107, we read these words in Psalm 107, verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business in, on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind. God commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down to the depths. So you can kind of just envision poetically these huge waves. And the people who are on these great seas, in these ships, their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men. And they are at their wits end. Maybe that's what you feel right, like right now and all the instability of life. You are at your wits end. Then, verse 28, then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distress. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. And then they are glad because they are quiet. 
So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. We were created to live life in connection with God. And a life lived disconnected from him is ultimately a life that is lacking in abundance. But we try so hard to find wholeness and abundance apart from him. And, and that life that is trying to find wholeness and abundance apart from God is like the lives of those sailors in that passage in Psalm 107. They are in the midst of this huge storm, these huge rolling seas, and they stumble about to and fro like drunken men. They're at their wits end. And that's a life disconnected from God. We've done a pretty good job in Western society to try and create beautiful, wonderful existences. We've created society that is about as close to heaven on earth as you might be able to create or imagine. But it is amazing how quickly that things can unravel and how fast that things can be destabilized. And it's in the midst of that storm that we need to cry out to the Lord. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And, and then he brought them to their desired haven. He brings them out of their distress. He guides them to where they were looking to get to, to that life of abundance that we so deeply desire. Life, true abundant life is found only through Jesus in connection with God. That's why we say here at Cross Connection Church, life in connection with God, one another, and the world through Jesus. Life through Jesus. That abundant life is only found in connection with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Jesus said, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to rescue us from darkness and death, to reconcile us to God the Father, that we might receive his unshakable kingdom. Let me say that again, it's so important. Jesus came to rescue us from darkness and death, to reconcile us to God the Father, that we might receive his unshakable kingdom. We are living in a world that is about as good as it could possibly be in a broken and fallen world, living in Western societies where we have, we have such abundance, we have access to instant access to virtually anything at every time, so many great things. And yet in the midst of this, we've seen things be destabilized and all those things that we trust in or we have devoted ourselves to, they're shown to be ultimately not that which is going to bring about the abundant life. And I think that the Lord has allowed those things to be shaken so that we will realize that true abundance is found only in Jesus Christ. It's found only in that life in connection with God. Jesus came to rescue us from darkness and death through his death on the cross, to reconcile us to God the Father that we might receive his unshakable kingdom, a kingdom that is enduring. One of my favorite passages of scripture that de describes what Jesus did in coming to this world is found in Ephesians chapter two, where Paul writes in verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, he is our peace who has made both one. And he's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. It's through the cross of Christ 
that Jesus reconciles us back to God, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We've lived through a significant time of shaking. And those significant times of shaking, they will only increase. I don't know what you believe about end times things, but if you read many of the end times passages of the scriptures, it says that there's going to be all kinds of earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and pandemics and all these things. And they kind of increase and seem to escalate more and more as we approach the time when Jesus comes to return. And all of those things, they shake and they shake and they shake. Why? So that we will see the deficiencies and weakness weaknesses in the things that we have entrusted ourselves to with our devotion or those things that we trust in. God allows those things to shake so that anything that can be shaken will be shaken and fall apart so that we will see what is unshakable. And only Jesus, only God in his kingdom is ultimately unshakable. And in the midst of that, that's where we're able to see that God is over and he is above all of those things that melt our hearts in this world. And God allows all of that so that we will turn to him and we'll say, God, will you rescue and save me so that I might find life in connection with you and true abundant life. It's my hope, it's my prayer that in the midst of all the chaos and the shaking that's happened in your life, maybe during this season or in our world in the last couple of years, that you will see that Christ alone is the one that brings surety. He alone is our refuge, our ever-present help in time of trouble. Father God, I pray that you would speak through your word, through this message to anyone and everyone that will hear it, and that you would draw people to yourself, even by your Holy Spirit. I'm not there in that place speaking to that person in person. This is recorded and will be on the internet for only you know how long. However long it's there, God, would you use your word and this message to draw people who find themselves in the midst of all the shaking and everything seems like it's rubble around them, that they would see that you alone are sure and steadfast. And Lord, you would draw them to yourself. You are our refuge and our strength. Ever-present help, time of trouble. God, we thank you that in you, we have a sure and steadfast hope of a kingdom that will not be shaken. And so God, I pray that you would encourage the hearts of your people with that truth. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.